It's nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, we are your public radio station, broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where we have overcast skies, 56% humidity at the airport right now, where they have southwest winds to 8 miles per hour and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is still stubbornly calling for mostly sunny skies today with a high near 46, northwest winds to 20, gusting to 30. For tonight, a 30% chance of rain after 4 a.m., mostly cloudy skies overnight with a low around 39, north winds 10, gusting to 20. And for tomorrow, rain early on, then cloudy skies will gradually become mostly sunny with a high of 45, north winds to 20, gusting to 30 tomorrow. Coming up on the Midday Report, Senator Murkowski's office is seeking input from coastal Alaskans about how to invest in the state's ports and harbors. And Senator Murkowski and her Republican challenger agree on at least one thing. Those stories and more after this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Biden administration is trying to rally the world ahead of a mostly symbolic vote at the United Nations to condemn Russia's war in Ukraine. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports the U.S. argues no country can sit on the sidelines as Russia violates the U.N. Charter. Russia's latest barrage of attacks on Ukrainian cities should remind countries of what's at stake, says the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield. The choice facing U.N. members has become even more stark. The stakes have become even more clear. Now is not the time for placation. It is the time for action. She says about 70 countries have now co-sponsored a General Assembly resolution that condemns Russia's actions as a violation of the U.N. Charter. Russia vetoed a similar draft in the Security Council but doesn't have that power in the General Assembly. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, the State Department. Days after OPEC Plus, led by Saudi Arabia and Russia, made a decision to cut oil production next month and send oil prices higher, President Biden says it's time to reassess Washington's relationship with Riyadh. NPR's Tamara Keith has details. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says that although the production cut was a decision by OPEC+, the cartel is led by Saudi Arabia, and it deserves the blame. We thought it was a short-sighted decision um, and that it benefited Russia at a time when nobody um, in any capacity should be trying to benefit Vladimir Putin. Higher oil prices would help Russia fund its war in Ukraine. Kirby said Biden hasn't yet spoken to the members of Congress calling for a change in cooperation with the kingdom, but he will. The president believes that it's time to take another look at this relationship and make sure that it's serving our national security interests. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. Baltimore prosecutors have dropped all charges against Adnan Syed, whose murder case was chronicled in the popular podcast Serial. 
Syed's conviction was overturned and he was released last month after new evidence came to light about the 1999 killing of Syed's ex-girlfriend, Eamon Lee. But charges still loomed until today. Baltimore City State's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, says newly tested DNA evidence does not connect Syed to Lee's death. The items that we tested had never before been tested. And we used advanced DNA to determine that it was not Adnan Saeed. Investigators found evidence, they say, pointing to two other possible suspects. And authorities say that evidence was not handed over to Syed's attorneys. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow was up 36 points at 29,239. It's NPR News. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Senator Lisa Murkowski's office is seeking input from coastal Alaskans on a sweeping set of draft policy proposals to invest in the state's ports and harbors. The initiative is called the Working Waterfronts Framework. Murkowski says it's in a crowdsourcing phase. So there's not actual text and legislation. We're, we're in the, the, the information gathering. We want to hear feedback. The framework outlines more than a dozen areas for potential investment, including more funding for projects that aren't big enough to qualify for federal grants. In so many of these communities, you've got small, small ports and harbors, so they're not eligible for these big, um, uh, these big federal grants. Uh, so what can we put in place to help get a, a small boat haul out, um, a laydown yard, um, uh, boat ramps? The framework also includes ideas like increased investment in workforce development for maritime trades and for newer industries like mariculture. It also calls for more ocean research and community monitoring programs. Other proposals include developing a crop insurance-type program similar to what's used by farmers to protect against agricultural losses for fisheries and updating the existing fisheries disaster program to better account for subsistence users. Murkowski's office released the Working Waterfront Framework ahead of the fisheries debates in Kodiak. Members of the public can submit comments on the proposals or their own ideas until September 2nd by emailing working underscore waterfronts at murkowski.senate.gov. That's working underscore waterfronts at murkowski.senate.gov. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski and Republican challenger Kelly Shubaka both say President Biden was wrong to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for millions of borrowers. Shubaka called the move unconstitutional. I think that Congress holds the power of the purse, not Joe Biden, to unilaterally forgive loans. I also think that this is fundamentally unfair for all of those students and families who took out loans and paid them back. Murkowski said she's empathetic to the debt burden former students have, but said Biden was in the wrong. I agree with, with Kelly on this one, that this is, this is an exercise of authority by President Biden that I think is beyond his scope to, to allow. And I think you're going to see that uh, challenged through, through the courts here. They spoke at an Anchorage Chamber of Commerce forum on Monday. Democrat Pat Chesbro was the only Senate candidate to say she favors the debt cancellation. 
So far this year, 15 people have died in Alaska jails and prisons. That's the most since 2015. Seven of the people who died were in custody for less than a month. The Department of Corrections screening process, record-keeping policies, and security practices mean there should be lots of documentation of what led up to those deaths. But the department says it can't disclose much. They're limited by confidentiality policies and health privacy laws. Alaska Public Media's Jeremy Shea reports that family members and activists are sounding the alarm that this is a crisis that needs special attention. Early one morning this summer, Nora Brown got a knock on her door in White Mountain, a small community near Nome. There was a village public safety officer letting her know that her 20-year-old daughter, Kitty Douglas, had died in jail. She'd only been there for six nights. It was a shock. They had talked on the phone recently, and Brown thought her daughter was safe at Highland Mountain Correctional Center after bouncing between an Anchorage youth shelter and homeless encampments. The VPSO didn't know what specifically happened, but Brown later found out through the state medical examiner that it was a suicide. She's learned little else from the authorities. It's unavoidable. I know it. Brown says her daughter had some known mental health issues and should have been under close watch. Brown says she wants to file a wrongful death case against the state. I would like to see them do their job, follow their own guidelines, and do what they could do best as they can, especially with people that they know are suicidal, people that they know that have mental illness in the face. Kitty Douglas was the youngest of 15 people to die in the custody of the correction system so far this year. Most were under 40. It's unclear what's behind this year's high number of deaths and why seven died within two weeks of going into custody. A department spokesperson said in an email that it takes each death seriously and conducts its own internal investigations, which includes looking for trends or underlying issues. The Department of Corrections will say that it does not suspect foul play in Kitty Douglas's death or any of the others this year. No foul play does not mean that these people didn't die at the hands of the system. That's Megan Edge, director of the Alaska Prison Project for the American Civil Liberties Union of Alaska. That's 15 people, some of which who were not convicted of crimes, who were not sentenced. There are people who were convicted but not sentenced to death dying at the hands of the system. Edge says her organization hasn't taken any legal action against the state, but it is working with some families of inmates who have died this year and community groups. The organization is also calling on Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration to conduct a sweeping review of these deaths and other prisoner conditions. It's really important that this investigation is done by an independent body, not the state investigating itself, and that the the findings of the review are made public. That's how we ensure accountability and transparency. From there, she says community leaders and policymakers can work on solutions. Kitty Douglas is back home in White Mountain now, where she was buried in July. Normally at this time of year, Nora Brown says her daughter would have been finished picking berries for the season, had her silver salmon smoked and put away. She'd be climbing trees to find rabbits and ptarmigan to hunt, bear and moose to avoid. She would just climb a tree, she could just climb a tree, any tree you looked at, she would probably climb it right in front of you to show you she could. She was just really, a really bad tomboy. (laughs) (laughs) Brown doesn't have closure. As the inmate death toll has risen this year, she wonders, why so many? In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. 
The Constitutional Convention question is coming up on next month's ballot. That's Alaskans once in a decade opportunity to vote on whether to open up the state constitution for potential changes. Alaskans have voted against holding a convention by a wide margin in recent decades, but this year's race is closer according to the polls. Alaska Public Media's Kavitha George spoke to voters to understand how they're thinking about the question. The constitutional convention question is typically shot down without much ado. Two-thirds of voters voted no on the last one. In 2002, it was more than 70 percent. This year is different, with several hot-button issues taking center stage. Victoria Miller said she'd vote no on a recent AARP poll. She's a nurse based in Anchorage. I'm really concerned that it's going to be changing the uh, reproductive rights, in particular here in Alaska. I've done some research about the people that are really encouraging this and are kind of behind the proposal. And they're people that definitely want to change. They want to limit reproductive rights in Alaska. Some proponents of the Convention Yes campaign have discussed the possibility of limiting abortion as one reason to support a convention. Pro-convention advocates have also floated enshrining the PFD in the Constitution and reforming the judicial selection process. Opponents of a convention say it's a costly, risky process with too many unknowns to be productive, especially in today's political climate. I think we're pretty divided. Richard Hancock is a retired lineman who's lived in Two Rivers, north of Fairbanks, since 1978. He also responded to the AARP poll and says now isn't the right time to open up the Constitution for edits. Hancock shares Miller's concerns about a threat to abortion rights. He also says he doesn't want to see the PFD written into the Constitution, as some have suggested. I just think if they get it in there, you're locked in. If something, who knows what happened, you'll have to be pouring out that money. And it's just short-term thinking. Leon, a caller on the Talk of the Kenai, a commercial radio talk show on KSRM, who declined to give his last name, disagrees. He says enshrining the PFD gives the control to the people. Let's get it out of the hands of people trying to make merchandise of it and put it into the Constitution. I recently appeared on the Talk of the Kenai, hosted by chair of the Alaska Independence Party, Bob Byrd, to hear voters' views about the convention. Leon added that he wants to see the Constitution amended to define life as starting at conception. And he'd like to see changes to the state's judicial selection process. Another caller, Mike, says the convention is an opportunity for Alaskans to make their voices heard. Since there would be one vote to elect delegates and another vote to approve any changes made to the document, he thinks the risk of backfire is low. Why the heck not? Why not give people a chance to to vote and say, yes, let's look at this document, and if we need to change it, we change it, and then if we don't like the changes that are made with the delegates, then we say no, and if we like the changes that are made by the delegates, we say yes. An AARP poll last month found that 30% of Alaskans plan to vote yes on the Constitutional Convention question. That's close to the percentage of yes voters the last few times the question has been on the ballot. But the poll estimated that only 46 percent of voters plan to vote no. An Alaska survey research poll last month reported slightly different numbers, with 31 percent expected to vote yes and 54 percent expected to vote no. 
In Anchorage, I'm Kavitha George. Katmai National Park's Fat Bear Week contest is an international sensation. As KSTK Sage Smiley reports, a smaller bear viewing site in southeast Alaska has kicked off its own bear awards this year, but the focus isn't just on the rotundity of the area's resident Bruins. Each year in early July, salmon return from the ocean through the waterways of southeast Alaska and up Annan Creek. Bears follow close behind, and close behind the bears are visitors, hoping to catch a glimpse of fishing bears and other wildlife at Annan. The remote site, located on the mainland about 30 miles southeast of Wrangell, is staffed by seasonal workers with the U.S. Forest Service, who rotate shifts living at a nearby float house anchored in Annan Bay. That's where the idea for the Annan Bear Awards was born, says recreation planner Dee Gala with the U.S. Forest Service in Wrangell. This year, the Forest Service had six employees working at Annan. One of their duties is to try and identify the bears because that helps us get an idea of the trends, you know, of the population, how many bears are we seeing at a time, are they the same bears, that kind of thing. As a part of that identifying, Annan employees take videos and photos of the bears walking, resting, and eating. We have anywhere from 40 to 60, I think, black bear that we see every year. That's hard to determine because, you know, sometimes people are counting them the same or sometimes, you know, we're guessing if they're the same bear or not. And then we probably have about half a dozen to a dozen brown bear in a given year that, that people see. All that watching leads to a familiarity between Anna and staffers and the bears at the creek, Gala says. You watch them for a while and you start to be able to pick out different um, characteristics that each of them have. I mean, that's generally how they acquire their names. And this year, <laughs> what started is we just had a whiteboard in our breezeway at the float house. And I think one of the gals just started writing out like categories for, you know, bear awards. And, and everybody would throw, you know, write down what they thought and why. And, you know, it got to be something kind of funny. And, uh, you know, we, every week you go out there and see who was winning the new awards. At the end of this season, Gala says staffers made the informal whiteboard awards into a full presentation, which they sent to Paul Robbins, the public affairs officer for the Tongass National Forest. People that work at NAN, they sent me a bunch of videos and pictures uh, of the bears that they took throughout the season and their unique attributes and entertaining anecdotes and their names all in this in this email and said, you know, this would be an interesting way to, to recognize all of these unique animals that we have this imagery of. And I thought, absolutely. Robin says that was about two weeks ago. The Tongass National Forest social media kicked off the first annual Annan Bear Awards with an award for fattest bear on October 3rd. That went to unnamed thick one. Not all the bears have names cutest bear. We've had the best fisherman, or the fisher bear, I should say. So Scuba Sue was the best fisher bear. We had the the most chill bear, who was doing a impersonation of Baloo from the Jungle Book, just leaned up against a tree, scratching along to the music. Entertaining stuff. Scuba Sue is a well-known bear at Annan Creek, one of the only bears that regularly dips her full head and ears under the water to fish for salmon. Robin says the Forest Service is bestowing a grand total of nine awards to Annan Bears this year, with the potential for expansion in years to come. He says as a social media campaign for the Tongass National Forest, the Annan Bear Awards are a hit so far. Uh, we're getting more more engagements, more likes, more loves, more laughs than, uh, than we usually do on our posts, which are primarily informative and not of adorable bear antics, and definitely more shares than we usually get. 
Robin says it also helps to elevate Annan, which is a relatively remote and under-the-radar bear viewing site. Not many people actually get to go to Annan and see that amazing place, so this is a great way to share it with folks who can't make it. Although the timing of the first annual Annan Bear Awards coincides with Katmai National Park's Fat Bear Week, it's not meant to compete with that well-established ursine election cycle. For one, the Annan Bear Awards aren't public choice. Plus, Annan is a different site with a different vibe. I don't think we have the amount of fat bears to really have a fat bear competition, and we just know that people are really interested in Fat Bear Week and they love it. People love bears in general. And this just looked like a great opportunity to highlight our bears here on the Tongass at Anand. We prefer to highlight their unique personalities and, and traits over uh, over their girth. Katmai has that well done. So we'll, we'll leave that to them and focus on the, the antics of Anand bears. Whether unnamed Thick One and Scuba Sue can hold on to their titles next year remains to be seen. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. For many students and parents, navigating learning during and through COVID was an incredibly difficult and challenging task. Author Katie Novak, an internationally renowned education consultant and college graduate instructor with two decades of experience in teaching and administration, addresses these issues and more in the new and revised edition of her book, UDL Now. Universal Design for Learning, or UDL, is a framework to improve and optimize teaching and learning for all people based on scientific insights into how humans learn. UDL can provide practical insights and savvy strategies to help all learners succeed in a post-pandemic world using its principles. We spoke with her about this important and interesting book. I just can't imagine anyone perceiving education as being stagnant, especially after we had this bizarre two years of having to do the work remotely and concurrently. And even in a district that doesn't experience lots of large-scale change, our standards are changing, our children are changing, our technology is getting updated. And so every single year, teachers really have to think about what am I doing well and how do I know based on the impact I have on learners and what are areas that I need to grow so I can better serve my students. And just when you feel like you have it figured out in the spring, a whole new group of kids comes in next year and kind of resets. That's author and educator Katie Novak on her book, UDL Now, which has just been released and is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to Tuesday. It is the 11th day of October, the year 2022. Sun rose today at 8.36. It will set again at 7.15. That will give us 10 hours and 39 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 54 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 20 degrees, set in 1924. Our record high was 62, set in 1983. Currently 45 degrees under overcast skies. They were predicting mostly sunny skies. 
and a high of 46. Northwest wind gusting to 30 today. For tonight, some rain after 4 a.m., mostly cloudy skies overnight with a low of 39. North winds gusting to 20 tonight. And look for a little rain early tomorrow morning, gradually becoming mostly sunny with high near 45 tomorrow and north winds to 20, gusting to 30. Mostly clear Wednesday night and sunny skies predicted on Thursday. We have a high tide coming up. That will be happening at 325 this afternoon here on the east side and be 7.8 feet, followed by a low tide this evening at 9.52 p.m. of minus 8 tenths, almost minus 1 foot. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 3.56 this afternoon and be 15.8 feet in Larson Bay. That will be followed by a low tide at 10.27 p.m. of minus 1.6 feet over on the west side. Mariners, be aware we have a gale warning for tomorrow for Marmot Island to sit Kanat Kodiak's east side offshore. Northwest 25 today seas to 11 feet. For tomorrow, north 35 seas to 11 feet, building to 13 feet Wednesday night. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, small craft advisory for today and tomorrow. Northwest 30 today, diminishing to 20 knots this afternoon. Seas 6 feet, coming down to 4 feet this afternoon. For tomorrow, look for north winds to 20 knots in the morning, increasing to 30 knots. Seas 5 feet, building to 9 feet tomorrow afternoon. And back down to 5 feet tomorrow night in the Shelikoff. The Kodiak City Council will be holding a work session tonight. They will also be having a regular meeting on Thursday night. Both of these meetings will be happening at 7.30 and be held in the Kodiak Public Library. The meetings are open to the public, and public members are also encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT on 100.1 FM. The meetings will also be web-streamed, and the links and meeting packets are available online at the City of Kodiak website. If you have any questions, please contact the City Clerk at 907-486-8636. Happening today, the University of Alaska Fairbanks Cooperative Extension agent Sarah Lewis and her partner Gina Dion offering another in their series of Tuesday evening online classes on preparing and preserving foods for the holidays. Tonight's class is Making Sauerkraut and Relish, which is pretty cool. Learn how to make sauerkraut and mixed pickle fermented relish to enjoy with fall wild game. Fermented foods are good for you. And each class is $12 and requires separate registration. Participants may register in one or all of the classes. The deadline for registering is 5 p.m. tonight for tonight's class. For more information, contact Sarah Lewis at Sarah with an H dot Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, at alaska.edu, or call her on the phone at 907-523-3280, extension 1. Tonight is Coming Out Stories, co-sponsored by the Kodiak Pride and Kodiak College Diversity Committee. That's happening in the Benny Benson Building Room 1, no, yes, 128 tonight from 6.30 to 8.30. Today is National Coming Out Day, and they support the queer community and public sharing of their sexual orientation and or gender identities for others to see to combat homophobia and discrimination and be visible to those who are still closeted. Many in the community choose for their own safety to stay closeted due to anti-queer laws and the real threat of discrimination and rejection. To shine a light on the experiences of the queer community in Kodiak, Kodiak Pride and Kodiak College Diversity Committee 
or joining forces to bring coming out stories to Kodiak. All are welcome. Again, that's tonight, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in the Benny Benson Building, Room 128. Meetings coming up in the borough include tomorrow's meeting of the Solid Waste and Advisory Board. They're going to be meeting in the Projects Office Conference Room. That's happening at 5.15 p.m. tomorrow. Also tomorrow, the Planning and Zoning Commission will be having a work session in the Borough Conference Room. That's happening at 6.30 p.m. And on Thursday, the Assembly will be having a work session in the Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. The State of Alaska's Office of Substance Abuse and Addiction Prevention is excited to invite you to a community cafe on Thursday. The focus of the community cafe will be to hear from the people of Kodiak about issues related to polysubstance misuse, overdose, and substance use disorders. Information provided by the community will directly inform the upcoming statewide op- opioid and polysubstance use action plan. All members of the community are welcome. Refreshments will be provided. That's happening this Thursday, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Fognac Center over on Near Island. That's at 300 Alamac Drive. Again, that's Check-in starts at 3 p.m. The event starts at 3.30 p.m. on Thursday. And next Saturday, the Kodiak Balalaika players will be playing at the Kodiak Public Library. That's happening Saturday between 2 and 3 p.m. Join them for an hour of ethnic folk music. Again, that's Saturday, 2 to 3 p.m. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the Midday Report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.